Hi, I'm Philip Anthony Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, episode 128. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com slash theweekendout. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And make sure you have cookies enabled or I won't get any money. All right. I'll do some quick shout-outs since it's been a while. Uh, I'd like to thank Neil Stanifer for liking the Week in Doubt Facebook page. And I'd like to thank the following people for following the show on Twitter. And we have Jeffrey Levin, Awesome Astronomy, Lois Balistrier, I think it is, or Balistrier. Uh God is the Worst, uh, Artie the Fixer, Chris Marshall... Dan Arrow, JC, and Neanderthal, or is it Neanderthal, tomato, tomato? <laughs> That's Neanderthal at Atheist King. All right. Thanks, guys. That's just a handful of the recent Twitter followers. I'm behind a few weeks, so for the sake of brevity, I just included a few. So last week's episode was the special on Hell Houses. I think I just have one correction or mea culpa to make regarding that episode. I don't think I had any of my facts wrong. It was actually something more trivial. I repeatedly mentioned a controversial pastor named Keenan Roberts, and I accidentally reversed his first and last name at one point. In fairness, he has one of those first names that sounds like a last name, and a last name that kind of sounds like a first name, but my mistake. I doubt the pastor was listening, but uh, nevertheless, my apologies. It's funny, I made a YouTube version. It's just basically the same as the audio version with the addition of some visuals. And I went in and edited out the part where I got his name wrong and replaced it with a cut-and-paste job of another instance of me saying his name. So all of a sudden, mid-sentence, you hear Keenan Roberts, and the tone sounds completely out of context. But oh well. Uh, All in all, I hope you enjoyed the episode. It's short, but I think, or at least I hope, that it was nevertheless still somewhat informative. And speaking of the YouTube version, I recently discovered I can upload videos to the same feed I use to broadcast the audio version of the podcast. So if you're a subscriber, you may have noticed a couple of video episodes recently. So I'm pretty excited about that. So be on the lookout for more video content in the near future. Unfortunately, I don't think Stitcher does video, so you may be better off trying to access the video episodes through iTunes. Before I get into anything too heavy, would you like to hear Anderson Cooper backing on televangelist Pat Robertson? Uh, Well, since I can't hear your answer, I'll just assume you said yes. All right. Time for the ridiculous, and tonight we have an important travel warning for all Americans. Not from the government, but from the grouchy grandpa of televangelism, the infinity pool of misinformation that is Pat Robertson. Recently, a 700 Club viewer asked him for advice about a planned mission to Kenya. Now, some of the viewer's friends and family were concerned about this person going to Kenya because of Ebola. Robertson said there's no need to worry about Ebola in Kenya, and then he said this. You might get AIDS in Kenya. If people have AIDS, you got to be careful. I mean, the towels could have AIDS. That's right. The towels could have AIDS. Do not even get him started on the washcloths with hepatitis C. 
We're talking Bed Bath and way, way beyond here, people. Just to be clear, if, like Pat Robertson, you somehow missed all the evidence, all the research, the depth and breadth of all the knowledge garnered about HIV and AIDS over the past three decades, you cannot get HIV if you share towels. Now, if a guy has share towels, it's true, he might be gay. Even then, though, there's no guarantee. Some people just love share. I gotta say, one interesting thing about Robertson's warning is that when it comes to other infectious diseases like Ebola, he's actually kind of measured in his opinion. Hey, I was in Zaire with a great Ebola outbreak and we were helping people with Ebola and it wasn't all this panic. You know, if there's one thing you can say about Pat Robertson throughout the years is that he is anti-panic. After all, why panic about things like Ebola outbreaks when the bath mat is trying to give you chlamydia and your food is trying to kill you? If you go overseas, don't eat fresh vegetables. If you go overseas, don't drink ice in any drink because the water isn't pure. Be careful of uh, ice cream and, and milk because the milk may not be pasteurized. Do not eat ice cream when you go to Italy. I'm telling you, I know everyone says the gelato is great. It's gonna kill you. Overseas, everything overseas is bacteria. They got bacterias overseas. You just can't even imagine. I'm starting to think maybe we'd be better off not traveling at all. Just stay right here in the good old United States. Except steer clear of San Francisco, because that's, of course, where all the gay people live. And Pat Robertson's things, they have an ingenious way of giving you the stuff. And the stuff, of course, is what he then was calling HIV or AIDS in this classic clip from last year. You know I what mean, they do in uh, San Francisco, some of the gay community, they, they want to get people, so if they've got the stuff, they'll have a ring, you shake hands, and the ring's got a little thing where you cut your finger. Really? Yeah, really. Really? How much did they pay that woman to sit there like a zombie? I mean, do you think she actually believes what Pat Robertson is saying, or she just thinks, he's my boss, better smile? Really? Rings? That's what the gay people want to do to you in San Francisco. They want to stick you with the rings. Summing up, if you're going to San Francisco, do not shake hands with anyone. If you're going anywhere overseas, do not eat the ice cream. And whatever you do, do not, do not have unprotected sex with a towel in Kenya. Now, those are travel tips you can use on the ridiculous. All right. Well, that was fun. I like Anderson Cooper. Okay, moving on. So if you're a regular listener, you probably remember that a couple of episodes back, I discussed that blowout that occurred on Real Time with Bill Maher between Bill, Sam Harris, and Ben Affleck. Well, as I mentioned, that thing went viral and was all over the cable news. Well, I noticed something interesting. Uh, as I've mentioned many times on the show, I'm a big fan of TYT. Uh, if you're not familiar, TYT stands for the Young Turks. They're supposedly the largest online news show. Uh, there's a lot of co-hosts, but the the lead founder and main host is Cenk Uger. Uh, the show tends to be largely progressive, and Cenk and the other hosts are often critical of religion and tend to be in the kind of atheist-slash-agnostic camp. But after the aforementioned blowout on Real Time, I started to notice some criticism of the so-called new atheists, especially Sam Harris, in the aftermath of the Sam Harris-Ben Affleck debacle, Jank interviewed Reza Aslan and an atheist author by the name of C.J. Whirlman. Uh, 
Both individuals who happen to be very critical of Sam Harris. Uh, Reza has repeatedly called Sam Harris an atheist fundamentalist. He's claimed numerous times that Sam Harris gets all his research on religion from TV. Not sure if that's meant to be at least partially sarcastic or tongue-in-cheek. C.J. Werleman has called Sam Harris a dangerous fanatic or something close to that effect. The Turks also had Werleman sit in on a uh, panel episode as a co-host, too. And uh, other than his harsh criticism of Sam Harris, he seems like a fairly likable, charismatic, good-natured guy. But now it seems that since his appearances on the Young Turks, he's found himself in a uh, plagiarism controversy. According to a site called Godless Spellcheck, uh, I believe that's it, a number of his articles, or at least... uh, paragraphs in his articles were lifted verbatim from other sources, and some have been reworded but still contain some lines that appear to be lifted from other writers. But I noticed that, to me at least, uh, it seemed that TYT was kind of blurring or confusing the line between ethnic bigotry and honest criticism of religion. It seemed like Sam Harris was kind of being painted as an Islamophobe, or if not, Islamophobic himself, that he was being accused of feeding or fueling Islamophobia. And I will admit that people like Dawkins, Harris, and the late Christopher Hitchens, all three whom I deeply admire, can sound harshly critical of Islam. But what we should remember is that these are individuals who are harshly critical of religion in general, especially religious fundamentalism. In fairness, I think Marr and Harris may have set themselves up for accusations of Islamophobia, even if, in my opinion, somewhat unjustly, by a couple of slip-ups, I guess I'll say, for a lack of a better term, um, during that um, episode with uh, Ben Affleck. Sam called Islam, quote-unquote, the motherload of bad ideas. That probably wasn't the wisest or most diplomatic choice of words, Often when I criticize religion, I'll kind of go out of my way to mention what things about a particular religion uh, that I happen to like or admire. So I think that may have been a misstep by Sam. And then Bill Maher also said something kind of unfortunate. I think he was on the way to saying something else, but after being interrupted by Affleck, he ended up saying something to the effect that out of 1.6 billion Muslims, a billion must hold some of the quote-unquote pernicious ideas found in the uh, Quran or something to that effect. So in a way, they both played into the hands of their critics a bit, in my opinion. Well, something exciting happened recently. Well, exciting by my standards, anyway. Uh, After all the Harris bashing, Sam Harris, the man himself, went on TYT and did a three-hour-long interview with uh, Cenk Uger. And I gotta say, it was kind of an awkward three hours. Uh, Sam was not pleased with all the criticism he was receiving from TYT and certain guests. And uh, Jank, who I usually really like and agree with, came off, I think, as a little too confrontational or aggressive, perhaps. Uh, Maybe I'll play a few clips. Here's the part at the very beginning where Sam voices his displeasure. Um, Now, the part I think we disagree on is um, Islam and perception of Muslims, okay? Mm -hmm. So broadly speaking, so let's let's start that conversation. 
Um, uh, can we actually start just with the the context for this conversation? Because I, you sure. know, I'm I'm very happy to be talking to you, and um, I think we will have a good conversation. But I'm not at all happy with how we arrived here together, and I think there's something okay. to be said about that because uh, viewers coming naively to this video won't understand, you know, the, the context for for this conversation. Um, you know, I, I, I think, and you, you, it's, not, it's not a surprise to you because we've communicated by email, but I think you've treated me really unfairly in the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. And I've come here to clean up this mess. And that, that, the structure of that conversation is an unfortunate one because I'm going to be saying a lot of things that are going to sound defensive. Right? I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm <clears throat> taking you know, the slime of a few people who you've had on your show before me off of me. Mm -hmm. right? And that's, that's an unfortunate just context for any conversation because... Uh, one, I'm going to have to say some critical things about these people. These are people I don't actually want to talk about, like Reza Aslan and this guy C.J. Worlman, who you've had on your show. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's also just, it, we're, and we're not going to talk about some of the interesting things we could talk about, like the book on consciousness and meditation and spirituality I just wrote. I mean, I, I doubt we're going to get to that. So mm -hmm. this is a, this is a, there's an opportunity cost here imposed by the fact that there's a huge mess to clean up and mm -hmm. people should understand that that's the context. Right. So that is your perception of it and hence we have our first disagreement. Uh, right. I don't agree with that. Okay. So I think that the things that they said were number one, people come on the show and say things mm -hmm. that I don't agree with all the time. You will say things tonight that I don't agree with, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have that conversation. Number two, you have a perception of what they said that is not the same as mine. Right? Okay. You view it as totally unfair, but that's why we're going to have this conversation. Because right. Right? I think it is fair. So, so let's, let's okay. talk about it and see uh, where we come well, out I, of it. There's a, a deeper point about a problem with journalism that I think uh, should be exposed here. Because right. I think you, had, you and I have a different view about just how this game should be played. Uh, I'll give you an analogy. So the, the website Salon has maybe half a dozen or a dozen articles on me that are just pure slander. I mean, they, they, they misrepresent my views. You know, one of these articles, one of the writers calls me a douchebag. I mean, these are, this is not journalism. This mm -hmm. is, these, are, these are just hit pieces that are on the, the, the website salon. Now, any naive reader of that website, they, they visit this website. It's one of the most trafficked websites on earth. They think, well, this is all journalistically sourced. There's an editorial policy that has made all of this kosher. Um, but the truth is, much of what you read on salon is just Maniacs in their bedrooms typing. I mean, it's not. This is not the New York Times. Now, well, some, now but, but, would let me ask me to have you let, let, take this video off because you said that about them. No, well, let me. I'll, 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 you see I'll, what I'm saying? No, well, I'm. I'm. No, that's. It's, it's not a valid analogy, but we'll, we'll get there. So, okay. I, so when I communicate, so I, th this stuff has built up over time, and so I communicate with the editor in chief of Salon, complaining about this. Uh, you know, one article says I supported the Iraq War. I never supported the Iraq War. So. Mm -hmm. Um, so factual inaccuracies and tonal things that are just crazy for journalists to be doing. And uh, the editor-in-chief of Salon says, well, I'm so sorry you feel that way, but, you know, at Salon, we're open to all voices. We, we, this is all about conversation. This is a Salon, after all. So perhaps you would like to write us an article, write an article for us, defending yourself, to, you know, showing how you're not a racist and a bigot and an Islamophobe and a Zionist and everything else we've called you. Uh, and... Um, uh, yeah. So, and I said, okay. So great. So, so first, you steal part of my reputation by just putting all of the stuff out there. Now, you want to steal some of my time 
-hmm. by getting me to work for you for free, right? Uh, and then you want me to drive all my traffic to your site, all my readers, to, so they can read where I have said, you know, I'm not a racist and I'm not a, you know, I'm not a genocidal maniac. Now, does this sound familiar? Because this is the situation I feel like I'm in with you. And again, I'm not, right. I'm not begrudging the conversation because I think you and I will have a good conversation. But what has happened on your show in previous weeks? You've had this guy Whirlman, who's now, you know, a well-established fraud and liar, and he's outed as a serial plagiarist. First and, of all, let's just be clear, though: yeah. the plagiarism charges came out after he was on yes, the show. Yes, it's true. It's true. But I could have. I mean, it was obvious to me that this guy was was lying about my views, and he he's he's on your show unrebutted for whatever, an hour. Sam, you're here to rebut him. So oh, look, no, but, let, but, me, but, let me answer some of but, those charges. But what, so let me just ask you one more question and then you can answer right. What journalistic purpose is being served by having that hour of video online until the end of the world where he calls me a genocidal maniac, he says I want to execute a nuclear first strike against the Muslim world, I want to kill people for thought crimes. What journalistic purpose is being served when that video stands on its own? They're not going to necessarily find this video in association with that. That's just mm -hmm. going to be out there forever. And this guy has no credibility. So what? So why keep the video up? So Sam, you think that everybody's being unfair to you. So whenever you guys have a disagreement, you view them being as being defamatory and malicious, etc. Yeah. But not, Sam, not everyone, you say but in this, in this no, case. Now, you say incredibly outrageous things, like we should consider a nuclear first strike, right? We should uh, that, consider torture. That, we should consider bombing things. So, uh, oh, let's go one at a time, right? You we'll, say we'll, all we'll these get, we'll things. We'll get into the details. Right, and we are going to get into the details, yeah. right? And then you put caveats in there, right? Which is smart. You put caveats, but you say we should consider all these things. And then when people criticize that, you go, how could you? But of course they're going to, Sam, even if you're right, they're going to criticize. No, Do you no. see what I'm saying? You have to expect that. Crit criticism is totally fair, and hard-hitting criticism is totally fair. I, I publish very hard-hitting criticism of other writers and other scientists and public figures. So I, I mean, the stuff I've written about Francis Collins, head of the NIH, is incredibly hard-hitting. There's no way he likes what I've written about him. But I was careful not to misrepresent his views. And if, I, if anyone ever catches me misrepresenting the views of one of my targets, I will be the first to apologize. It, that is a completely illegitimate way to argue. And now I can show you, so we're going to get into the details, I can show you how I'm being misrepresented by people like Reza Aslan and C.J. Worlman. So but, but, and, and when I argue against Reza in this conversation, I will be very careful not to misrepresent his views. I don't have to distort his views to, to show you what's wrong with them. And he, is, he has never honestly dealt with one of my views. He, so just to give you one example, he, uh, he, he, in his interview with you, he said, you know, I get all my views from relig about religion from watching television. Right? Mm -hmm. This is a line he is. Uh, sometimes he says, from watching Fox News. This is what happens when you know nothing about religion and you just get all your views from Fox News. Right? Now, anyone who has actually read The End of Faith, my first book, knows that that's just ridiculous. I mean, he's, he's, it's just, this is an ad hominem attack that is not actually engaging my argument. And uh, he's never engaged my specific arguments. And, and we'll get into the details, but I, again, I just, I want to press you, and uh, you know, this is an incredibly boring part of the conversation. I don't want to stay here long, but it just seems to me that you have to raise, you have a responsibility for stewarding journalism into its digital future. And this is not, this so, is not the Salon. What Salon is doing is is the end of journalism, as far as I can see. I and mean, that is where journalism is going to die. 
where you have where you, where you see absolutely Sam, no burden to represent people that, accurately. But Sam, can't you see that Salon would then say that you're doing the same exact thing that you're charging them of? You're, they, no, they, I, hold on, they I'm, would say, they would say, hey Sam, you're not seeing the entire body of our work. You didn't see it. You didn't see the nuances. You didn't see the other articles. No, I see what's said and about so, me. So then you say that we're the end of journalism and we do defamation. We do all these different things that you've charged us. Well, well, that's not fair. And then they would come to me and say, you say, hey, Reza said things that are unfair about me. So that's a questionable video that you've put up because my guest said something unfair about you. And then Salon would say, your guest, Sam Harris, said terrible things about us. You should take that video down. I'm not taking any of them down. At first, I was glad Sam came out swinging, so to speak, and aired his grievances. Uh, that sounded like a Festivus reference for all you Seinfeld fans out there. But upon listening to it again, I thought maybe it made him sound like he was complaining a little too much or being a little too sensitive, asking for videos to be pulled down, etc. We live in an internet age where public figures are constantly subjected to online criticism. I could see if someone was truly slandering you. And, uh, well, maybe uh, Sam has a point. I think Sam Harris is an academic in the best sense of the word, and people were questioning his research methodology, not to mention calling him things like a dangerous fundamentalist. So maybe it's not that crazy that he would want uh, such videos taken down. Now, here's a clip of Sam and Jenk arguing about whether or not newer religions like Mormonism, and I'll throw Scientology in there too as well, um, whether or not they're more absurd than ancient religions like the uh, Abrahamic faiths, Christianity, and I'll spare you a uh, discussion about whether or not Mormonism is technically a Christian faith, since they believe in uh, Christ, uh, I'll say, um, sure. Uh, but uh, Abrahamic faiths like Christianity, Judaism, Islam, etc. I side with Sam on this one. It's something I've even discussed on the show before. I believe that the ancient faiths have this kind of patina of validity, so to speak, because they're so old and we're so far removed in time from their inception. Whereas with the newer religions like Scientology and Mormonism, it's easier to see the con. You know, um, as Sam would put it, we we just know too much about Joseph Smith. And I'll add L. Ron Hubbard there, too. We just know too much about them. L. Ron Hubbard was literally a science fiction author, and Joseph Smith was a known con man. They're both con men, in my opinion. I'm not saying I believe in the supernatural claims of ancient faiths any more than I do those of newer religions like Mormonism. I just think the newer faiths are that much more transparent. But Here's the clip. So that's point one. Point two, what the point that you were alluding to, what, what I said about Mormons is, uh, there we might have disagreement. So you say Mormons are slightly more absurd than Christians, right? Because you say you take all the absurdity of Christianity and then you add on top of it further absurdity that Jesus is going to come to Missouri, etc. Right. I think those are really good points. But to me, that's the difference between two plus two equals five or two plus two equals six. It's well, neither one is true, so what difference does it make? Well, no, th this is actually, this is a cute statement, and I think nothing hinges on it, but it's actually a mathematically precise statement. If you think Jesus is going to come back, that's one order of improbability. If you think Jesus is going to come back to Jackson County, Missouri, 
that actually increases the unlikelihood or, or decreases no, the likelihood. This, I mean, if we're talking about math, it's like dividing by zero. No, no, he, this, it's, this it's is not, equally this, unlikely that he's going to go to Jerusalem no. or Missouri. He ain't coming. No, 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 no. <laughs> the whole thing no, like, is no, Zeus no, more likely to come to Missouri no, or to no, Athens? If, no, if you no, no. If the, it's the specifics that make it less probable. If you just think he's going to come back somewhere, uh -huh. that's one thing. If you think he's going to come back to Jackson County, Missouri, that's less likely. And that, that, is a, that is a mathematically true point. This is just probability theory. Even if I were to Nothing. grant you that, which I definitely do not grant you, but even well, if I were to grant you that. You're going to hear from a bunch of mathematicians who okay. are going right. to insist that you grant that. <laughs> okay, that's fine. And I look forward to that, okay. and hopefully we'll get 75 pages on that. Uh, Sam, what difference does it make? They're to the, both of them are totally untrue, totally yeah, untrue. Yeah, okay. they, yeah. they, nobody talked to the Smith, nobody talked to Jesus of Nazareth, only, it's I made only, up. I only made that point in the context of saying that you can, you can ob say objectively true things about differences among religions and even, and even say objectively true things about the likelihood that any one is true. Now there's another thing that cuts against Mormonism, which many people have noticed, which is we just know too much about Joseph Smith to take him entirely seriously. We know he was a con man and a libidinous guy who just kept making up new revelations so that he'd get it on with the wives of his followers. I mean, there's, there's just too much information on him. Now, the, the history of, of Islam and, and Judaism and Christianity is cloaked in much less certainty than that. So you can, it's easy to romanticize who these guys were I but think this was, is a small point, Sam. But just, let me just but yeah, let no. me just say on that, I I look at it the exact opposite. Okay, so I know Joseph Smith was a charlatan. My favorite story is when he tells his wife, "Oh, uh, God talked to me, and it, it turns yeah. out I need to have sex with our maid." Right. And exactly. she's like, "Oh, sure you do, yeah. buddy." And she's the first person not to believe in Mormonism right. uh, in that instance. And Muhammad has very similar stories in Islam, okay? Oh, very conveniently, he also had to have sex with all the women yeah. and conquer all the land, et cetera, right? But Moses didn't even exist. Well, yeah, <laughs> so it, it, I would view that as less credible because he uncertain. didn't even yes. exist. Yeah, but obviously many people think he did exist. It's just the more you push it into the, into the, uh, the well of history, it becomes you can, you can just have your beliefs about the, the matriarchs and patriarchs be unconstrained by, by counter evidence. So and you're ironically I mean, giving like, them like, credit because they're so wrong we can't disprove them. It's well, such it's a yeah, black box. It's just, yes, it's a black box. <laughs> okay, yeah, so right. it's, so anyway, that's why I say it's a small point of, this of is difference. This is not, right. this is not okay. important. Okay, so two of the most serious charges or accusations that I've repeatedly heard leveled at Sam Harris, and uh, Jenk brings these up, are that he supports racial profiling and that he's in favor of a preemptive nuclear strike against the Mideast. I actually thought that Sam did a pretty good job of defending himself on those issues. I thought he had a pretty common-sense approach to quote-unquote racial profiling. In fact, his idea of profiling didn't really seem to involve uh, race very much at all. I believe he refers to it as anti-profiling. Uh, not completely sure uh, what that means, to be honest. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but basically his point uh, seemed to be that if you're in an airport, you can pretty much tell who's not a terrorist. It doesn't mean that you don't still check everyone's bags, etc. 
but yet it doesn't make sense for security to focus as much on a family in flip-flops or a toddler uh, with the same level of scrutiny as uh, a young male who might be a jihadist or something like that. It seemed like both he and Jenk agreed that behavior should be at the top of the list. Security should be on the lookout for people who seem to be acting suspiciously or who are nervous or sweating profusely, etc. But I think obviously we have to be careful when discussing uh, profiling. It's a tricky subject because on the one hand, we don't want to let political correctness get in the way of safety. And on the other Uh, We don't want to travel that slippery slope to the dark side where we resort to things like inner-city stop-and-frisk policies. So the other big accusation uh, that I mentioned earlier is that supposedly Sam Harris supports the idea of a preemptive nuclear strike against the Middle East. So obviously this sounds crazy, even monstrous on the surface, right? Sam Harris supports nuking the Mideast. And I think for the most part, this accusation is based on a couple of paragraphs um, near the end of Sam's book, The End of Faith. He imagines a scenario where a state or country with a religious extremist mindset gets hold of a nuclear weapon, and he basically poses the the question of uh, whether or not we should consider a preemptive strike. In fairness to Sam, if I remember correctly, he says in the same part of The End of Faith that it's, and I'm paraphrasing, a monstrous thing to even consider. And in his interview with Jenk, he says that he wants us to reach a place as a species where a war between the U.S. and the Middle East is as unlikely as a war between Vermont and New Hampshire. So you might be thinking, if that's his stance, why does he even bring the whole nuclear first strike thing up? Well, as Sam explains it in the interview, it's kind of meant as a philosophical or game theory exercise meant to make people think. And I will say this, that as frustrating as I found the interview at times, I think that's one thing I did learn about Sam Harris that I didn't give a lot of thought to before. That as a philosopher and a neuroscientist, he likes to posit hypotheticals and provocative moral questions and then grapple with them as a kind of thought exercise. And I think that's kind of where the problem lies. People hear about him bringing up these controversial topics, and they wrongly assume he supports them instead of considering that as an academic, he's simply challenging himself and others to wrestle with them. And it's funny, uh, my first reaction to the video, well, my first reaction to the idea of the video was excitement because I was looking forward to seeing two of my favorite people having a discussion about religion. But upon first watching it, I felt a little exhausted or crestfallen. I was kind of thinking, man, I'm sick of listening to people arguing over religion. And uh, in this case, two non-believers arguing about religion for three hours, or more specifically, how to criticize Islam without offending Muslims for three hours, I almost felt myself feeling sick of religion in general. I was thinking to myself, why am I interested in all of this again? Why am I doing my podcast But then I kind of stepped back and centered myself, so to speak. I reminded myself why I do the podcast and why I'm interested in all this. 
it's because even though I'm a non-believer, I have a passion for religion, a passion for ancient history, and because I feel compelled to grapple with life's big existential questions, uh, if that doesn't sound too uh, grandiose. In fairness, I watched the debate or interview again, and I kind of saw the merit in it, and Jenk uh, didn't seem quite as rude or bellicose uh, the second time around. But while I'm discussing the continued fallout from the Mar harris Affleck debacle, I'll play you one more clip. This one's from the most recent episode of Real Time. Bill was addressing how students at UC Berkeley are petitioning a commencement speech he's supposed to give. And Rula Jabril, a secular Muslim journalist and screenwriter, breaks in and voices some issues she has with Bill. I said I would save it for HBO because they pay me. <laughs> so here's what happened. A couple of months ago, I was asked to deliver the commencement speech for Berkeley's December graduation. I was like, great. I love Berkeley. I'm off in December, and it'll be a sentimental journey. Who doesn't remember their graduation in December? <laughs> But whatever, I'm happy to do it, because though I never attended Berkeley, I was very aware of their place in the American debate. On the far left, and in a country where the Democratic Party is sold out to the center and even the right, this is what is needed. This is why I wanted to accept this invitation. And they invited me because it was the 50th anniversary of something that is legendary on that campus, the Berkeley Free Speech Movement. I guess they don't teach irony in college anymore. <laughs> and then a few weeks ago, Ben Affleck was on our show, and we had a discussion about Islam that I've had a thousand one nights with a lot of other people. But he's an A-list movie star, so now our very deep media started to care about it. It's always easy to do a story about somebody being mad at somebody. So when a few thousand people online who didn't have to do anything more than click a button, who didn't even go to Berkeley necessarily, wanted to be me to be disinvited as the commencement speaker, because, you know, I'm a racist. <laughs> right, because Islam is a race. <laughs> you know, this is the level of logic we're dealing with. By the way, even Reza Aslan, my most strident critic, has gone to pains to say he doesn't think I'm a bigot. Here's what he said on HuffPost Live. He said, Bill Maher is not a bigot. I know him. <laughs> we, <laughs> we are friends. We hang out with each other backstage. He loves having me on the show, despite the fact that he disagrees with me on a lot of things, and that shows the kind of person that he is. If even my most respectable critic, who's a Muslim, says this, what leg does this protest have to stand on? He and I disagree on some stuff, but he's always welcome on this show. That's how it's done, kids. <laughs> whoever... <laughs> whoever told you, you only had to hear what didn't upset you. So anyway, the university has come down on my side, saying what I hope they would say all along, which is that we're liberals. We're supposed to like free speech. So I want to come. I'm planning to come. <laughs> I... I'm planning a trip to the Redwoods the next day. <laughs> My only reservation in not coming is the argument that it will be a media circus and turn what should be a day about the graduates, which it should be, 
you into something else. I don't want to do that. It's the only reason I would ever pull out. But let me say this to those students worried about that. I promise this will be your day. This is a commencement speech. The issue is you. My speech was, is, I hope, going to be about you and whatever tips that I thought could I actually help you in life because I already lived through it. That and my hunk about how Jewish women hate to have sex. <laughs> so here's my final plea to you liberal, in the truest sense of the word, college students, not just at Berkeley but all over the country. Please weigh in on this. My reputation isn't on the line. Yours is. Okay, so what do you think about this? There's my piece. I don't think it's about free speech. I'm sorry to tell you this, Bill, and I'll tell you why. Very simple. These same students that signed those petitions actually invited you for a debate, and they said they are welcome, so they can have a conversation, they can ask you a question. If they don't like your views on television, they can switch channel. But the commencement speech, it's a platform Actually, that doesn't give the opportunity for questions, that doesn't give a, an opportunity for pushback, or even for a debate. It's a monologue, it's not a dialogue. These students, same students, feel offended. Feel offended that you, your views of Islam, the generalization, and they said it clearly in their declaration, they said the generalization perpetuate bigotry. This is what they said. Look, I am all for freedom for speech. I love debates, I hate monologues. When you invite somebody to a commencement speech, you said it, it's about the students. And the New York Times in this piece this morning said, you can counter a bad speech with a good speech, except they don't have that venue, they don't have that opportunity that day of graduation. They can't opt out of that. And I'll, well, I'm, I'll, not I'm, I'm telling you one thing. I'm about that subject, I, I as I just said. But does that mean we thing. never have speeches? Every speech has to be two people? But this is a commencement speech. This is a commencement address Every commencement of these students who are actually. Listen, would you accept an openly anti Semitic person but to I'm give not, a commencement speech I to a Jewish student? I, I wouldn't actually, I actually would not I, accept that. As I just said, even Reza Aslan says I'm not a bigot, so I rather resent the idea that I'm comparable to an anti-Semite. All I've ever done was basically read facts. What I mean, facts did you read? Well, you never uh, invited. But the, I'm listen, sorry, you are Bill, comparing, uh, I am sorry, Bill. Bill, I, I don't think we want to read. You are comparing jihadist, Salafist, Sunni, you don't you're, know you're, the difference. You're, you're comparing you're, you're, all Muslims in you're, one you're part. You're a Palestinian. And I am actually a secular, secular Muslim. And when you can, talk about okay, Islam in a certain way, I you, have to tell you, and it's, can it's you be, offensive sometimes. Can you be, and it, some people but, feel But threatened. it's okay to be offensive. That's what free speech is all about. If free speech is only speech you like, it's not free speech. <laughs> Nobody, they invited him for a debate. He can go no. to a debate. I will accompany you in that debate if you want. I'm happy to have that debate wherever you want. He was However, invited to be a commencement speaker, can, and then he made a statement that people you, didn't want. I, can you I, I be, don't know what to say. I can understand. Can you, can you be gay in Gaza? Yes, you can. Really? Yes, you can. And live? Absolutely, you can. <laughs> you know what? It's even more offensive because you're saying... I'm just asking because I've heard You can be gays read... in Gaza. Really? I traveled the Middle East. Is there a gay bar in Gaza? This is what I do for a living. You are comparing the majority of Muslim states uh, with Saudi Arabia or with happy with Should I call Aflac and get him back here so we can? Uh, you don't I, have I, to. I, I, you issue, know, this is. You, I, do you I want to listen or you want? Muslim. Uh, I, I think, think it's, it's about. 
I think okay. it's about whether someone can be invited to give a speech and people will listen. Maybe they'll agree with it. Maybe they won't. But we don't have uh, a situation in, in Berkeley where people can't give a speech. I mean, that's the whole essence of I the mean, American we, system is it's people ridiculous. can give I'm a speech. Sorry, Not everybody has to agree The Muslim community in this country, you are treating them like a fifth columnist, and they are not. And no, guess I what? I am not. <clears throat> and then guess what? If these people, these people are, uh, the Muslim community feel threatened and feel offended, and they are underrepresented in the media and underrepresented in political avenues. You never invite them here on these issues. Never invite them here. You're on here. These issues. <laughs> Reza here is here. They're, they're here all the time. On these issues. What do you mean on these issues? I mean, I'm the I one who says I want to stop talking about this. I can't because things happen in the news. Reza was invited to talk about something else. It was August 1st. Well, Reza's been here I a mean, lot. And I'm happy that he's been here, and I've been here, and I'm so happy to be invited here. However, if you want to have a serious conversation about Islam, and I'm sorry to tell you this, Bill. Every time I say something you don't like, it's not a serious conversation, or I'm a bigot. I'm sorry. In your world, you either compare. I'd say exactly what you want me to say, or no, else I'm no. a bigot. And look, that I'm, just doesn't work if for you, me. Look, if you're... You don't have to say what I want, okay. because what I want is not a war on Islam. I want to win the war on terror. Well, you are repeating the same things that actual Al-Qaeda is saying. Okay. The same thing. You are actually doing the work for them. Zawahiri used to say, and Bin Laden used to say, this is not a war on terror. This is a war on Islam. My father was Muslim. He was Sufi. You don't even know the difference between Sufi, Sunni, Shafi, Shafi, yeah, Hanbali. You don't. I, well, for you, you are, we are all jihadists. I know, I know that in many places true. in the world, if you left your religion, what would happen? Guess what? Let me tell you something. It would be many okay. You could, in walk Tunisia, inside, you could walk inside a door in Gaza and say, you know what? I'm a Presbyterian today. Maybe not in Gaza, to be honest. But you can do it in Jordan. You can do it in Lebanon. The majority of... You are blaming okay. the majority for, just, the, for the criminal acts of a minority. It, Unfortunately, okay. the right. majority are disorganized, right. and there's a small minority right. that are well-organized, and they're controlling the narrative. I have to move on. Um, I'm, I'm happy that you move on, but I'm telling you, there's okay. some people that lose... If you would have said some of the things that you would have said about African-Americans and about Jews, you would be fired. But African-Americans and Jews don't belong to a religion that wanted to kill Sal wanted to kill Salman Rushdie for writing a book if we want to get back to the free speech issue. So I'm sorry, that's called false equivalency. Okay. Not when all Salman religions no, are alike. No, um, I have to move on. I'm so sorry, but but then just, it's let's, not let's, a debate, Bill. I'm sorry. If you want to explore this, I'm happy to explore it with you I, after in okay. any avenue. Okay. But, however, you have to understand that you are representing the whole group as one. You are actually we, viewing Islam like jihadists, the same way they view, is, they view Islam. I In a literalist way. We disagree. Good. We can agree That's, to disagree. We agree to disagree. Perfect. All right. So, a... Um... <laughs> well, I think I've spoken enough for one episode, so I'll leave you guys to mull over that last clip. And with that being said... Uh, you guys know the drill. You can like the show on Facebook. Please do. You can follow the show on Twitter. You can subscribe to the show or leave a review through iTunes. Uh, you can also subscribe to the show through Podbean. 
And you can also check out the archives at Podbean. And if you're feeling generous, you can use the PayPal widget at the official Week in Doubt Podbean page to donate as little as 99 cents to the show's upkeep. Uh, You can listen to the show on Stitcher now. Uh, You can check out the YouTube channel. And by popular demand, I've finally set up a uh, voicemail account for listeners who want to call and leave a message. And then I'll take that message and incorporate it into the show. Right now I'm using Google Voice. And I want to forewarn you that I don't think the audio quality is all that great, but hopefully it's better than nothing. And uh, that Google Voice phone number should be 970-DOUBT-41. So numerically, that's 970-368-2841. So if you call that number, hopefully you should hear a brief message from me. You can then leave a message. And I think Google Voice allows me to download the audio file. So I should be able to integrate your uh, recorded message right into the show. So you can check that out. And I'm also working on using Skype as an option too, but I haven't sussed out all the details about how that would work yet. I'm pretty sure Skype has voicemail though. All right, so I think that takes care of everything. So uh, yet another episode in the can. And uh, as always, thanks for listening. And until next week.